Good morning. Certainly it's good to see each of you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we certainly are appreciative of your presence. We invite you back in any opportunity that you may have. If you have any questions or concerns of anything that you have seen or heard this morning, uh, we do ask that you would find someone and ask those questions and get those things resolved. Certainly, we would be more than happy to sit down and talk with you. If you are here and you're looking for a church home, certainly we would love to have you be a part of our family here at Roanoke. And I know any of our elders would be more than happy to talk to you about those things. But it is good to see each of you here. Isn't it good that in our country and also in our world that we have set aside a couple of days out of the year to recognize our fathers and our mothers? Certainly, they are worth recognition. Certainly, they are vital. They are pillars um, in our world, in our communities, and specifically in our families. Certainly, that can be a good thing. But it can also, unfortunately, be a bad thing in some instances and cases as well because of how influential our parents can be and must be within the lives of our children and within the way that our families work and the generation that is up and coming. Certainly, it can be good or it can be bad. You know, a sad reality for our country as we talk about fathers this this morning, as important as fathers are, they're growing more and more scarce in our country and in our world. In fact, 43% of all children grow up without a father present in their lives. Children in father-absent homes account for 71% of all high school dropouts. They account for 90% of homeless children and also 63% of youth suicides. 80% of all rapists come from homes without fathers present. Adolescents who are in rehab facilities because of substance abuse, 75% of them come from a home without a father that is present. Research shows, however, when you flip that and you have a child where a father is present in their lives and in their homes, they are two times more likely to go to college. In fact, children are 40% less likely to have to repeat a grade and to go on in furthering their education in that way when a father is present. They're 80% less likely to spend time in jail, 75% less likely to experience teen pregnancy. Evidently, according to research, according to statistics, fathers are extremely, extremely vital. They are extremely important to the success of our families, just as mothers are certainly as well. Isn't it interesting, though, that God, at the very beginning, before statistics were taken, before any kind of research, Search was done. God knew all of these things, didn't he? And there's a reason why God set into place the way that his family, the way that families are supposed to look and the way that families are supposed to be designed. He knew exactly how important fathers were and how fathers are in our world today. The difference a dedicated dad can make. I don't say the word dad often, especially in a public setting. I prefer to say the word father. It feels more appropriate, but Father didn't really fit in this title, so I just used the word dad, so you just have to deal with it. Look, it's, it's not easy being a father, is it? And I don't necessarily say that from experience. I've only been a father for the past uh, just over 18 months now. But I say that because as a child, I knew and I know how difficult I oftentimes made it for my father to be a father to me. And for those of you who have children, father or mother, you understand how difficult or how tiring it can be just simply to parent and to be who you're supposed to be for your children. It's interesting, though, from the words of the Apostle Paul that Max read for us just a moment ago in Ephesians chapter 6, specifically in verse 4, a charge really given specifically to the fathers 
of what they're supposed to do. He says, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. This responsibility, this weight, this charge, this command is to be carried out and to be enforced by who? The parents, yes, as a whole, but specifically this is given to fathers. This is given to dads who are supposed to take this responsibility and to parent and to nurture and to admonish their own children. That's not to say that the mother cannot help, that the mother cannot influence. However, the father must take ownership and take leadership of this very fact. So how can I as a father, as a dedicated dad, train and admonish my child, my children, in the way of the Lord better and more successfully than what I do already. Here's number one, four things I want to point out, but number one this morning, what can I do as a dedicated dad to help my children? Number one, I can pray for them. I can pray for my children. You know, there's so many examples of this within scripture and truthfully, it it makes sense for it to be this way, doesn't it? It's obvious that this will be the case because if you and I think about prayer and we've talked about this recently over the last few weeks, we look at the idea of prayer, the ability for that you and I possess to be able to approach our heavenly father and to take any Anything before him to ask for wisdom and to ask for guidance and to ask for knowledge as it pertains to the way that you and I are trying to rear our children. Certainly, would we not take our children before the throne of the Most High? Would we not take what means the most to us and present them? before the God who created them. I certainly hope that we would. I certainly hope that we do, especially in our day and age. You think about the things that our children face, the things that our children are having to endure, things to which they are exposed that I am sure many years ago would have never even been considered or even thought of. It certainly ought to be a daily occurrence for us as parents and as fathers especially to take our children before the throne of Almighty God. There's several examples of this in Scripture. I first think about Jairus in Mark chapter 5. You think about what's happening in Mark chapter 5 within this particular context. Jesus has just healed the demon-possessed man, and he's going back to Galilee. And as he has crossed the water onto the other side of the shore, he's met by these large multitudes, these large crowds that are wanting to come and to sit at his feet and to hear his teachings and to see his miraculous power of being able to heal them. And a among all of these individuals is this synagogue official or this, this ruler, this elder here by the name of Jairus. And keep in mind, when you think about these rulers, these elders, all of these officials, they knew who the Messiah was. Many of them were anxiously awaiting his coming. Many of them knew and they were excited that he was there. But there were also many of those officials who were not excited about Jesus being there because it meant their popularity was going down. Jesus was gaining a great reputation and they were upset at Jesus. They were not happy with Jesus and what he was doing. But when you look at this particular instance, if there was any kind of prejudice in this particular individual's heart against Jesus Christ, it was all overshadowed by his own care and his concern for his own child. Notice beginning in verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. 
So Jesus goes to where this man and his family are living. And you remember there on the occasion of them trying to get to that point, they're interrupted, aren't they? They're slowed down by the crowds. And you remember we have the account of the woman who has the blood disease and she touches out and she reaches for the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus has this interaction with her and all of that is recorded for us to read about. But you get to verse 35 and look at what is happening. When he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus had heard that the word was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Jump to verse 39. When he came in and he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Verse 42, immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Her parents, those around her, those witnessing this event, certainly amazed, perplexed, at what Jesus Christ was able to do. Prayer, not directly mentioned, I understand that. But think about the correlation of what's going on here and what you and I as parents and as fathers are able to do today. This father who went to the one who he knew could have a direct impact on his daughter's life. He knew that this one called Jesus could have a direct impact on the well-being of his own daughter, and it didn't matter what was going on around him. It didn't matter what his influence with his other fellow officials and fellow rulers might have. It didn't matter what he thought about the way that they were going to view him after all of this. But rather, as a father, he knew that he needed to do whatever it took to help his child. And he made the best decision possible, that by being going to Jesus the Christ. I think about Mark chapter 9, just a few chapters later, the father of the demoniac son. You remember Jesus approaching this crowd. They're having this great dispute, this great argument here uh, about several different things. And he inquires about what is going on and what is causing the trouble. And you remember in Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse 17, the Bible says, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So we asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you believe all things are possible to him who believes. What a horrible situation for a parent. What a horrible situation for this father to have to witness day after day to see his child being tortured by this demon and yet unable to do anything about it. And yet what does he finally do? Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Just like Jairus, he goes to the one who can have a direct impact on the well-being of his own child. 
the one who could provide the help that was needed for him. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to, his, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Fathers, let me ask you a question. Do you approach the one who can help your children? Do you approach the one in prayer who can help your children more than any other being or any other person that is in this world? Do you take your children before the throne of Almighty God? I think about Job in Job chapter 1, going back to the Old Testament. You know, we've talked about Job on multiple occasions over the last couple of weeks, and I, so I won't belabor the point. But we understand, and when you read Job chapter 1 and verse 1, we understand Job's character, don't we? We understand the kind of person that he was that is described for us here. But oftentimes we focus so much on Job as a man, as an individual, and what he was able to do for himself. But I think we oftentimes skip over or overlook the relationship that Job had, not only with his children, but with God on behalf of his own children. Notice verse 5 of Job chapter 1. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them, a number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. Job, what are you doing? I am doing all that I can to help my children. I'm doing all that I can to try to help keep them holy, to try to help keep them in a good standing with God. If they've sinned, I want to do all that I have done to make sure that I can help them get over that and remain in a good standing with God. Thus, Job did regularly. This was his practice. This was his custom. This is what Job did all the time. Fathers, do you do this? Do you regularly, number one, pray? But then number two, do you pray for your own children? Do you take them to God on behalf of them and their well-being? But then I think about 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I also think about David. You know, David, a man after God's own heart, a great man of war, a great king, getting ready to see his reign and his rule come to an end, handing and handing it all over to his son Solomon. And remember there in verse 10, he begins somewhat of a prayer, a, a plea, we might could say, before God and before the people. And within this prayer, if you read verse 10 all the way down, he's showcasing his thanks and his respect, his reverence for Almighty God and what God has done for him. He understands that everything he has has come from God because he has been blessed by God and how lowly he himself was and is in the sight of Almighty God. But he switches gears once he gets towards the end of this and he turns his focus to his son Solomon, the one who was about to take the throne, the one who was about to inherit his entire kingdom. And you look there in verse 19, he says, and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Fathers, we can pray that our children would grow up and become the smartest person alive. We could pray for our children to be so successful, to have so much money, to have so much social status, to be known among all people. But if there was one prayer that we must pray before any other prayer, it must be what David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 19 that we would pray for our children to be loyal to Almighty God, that they would keep His will, that they would do everything that God has commanded 
for them to do. Fathers, do you pray for your children? If you don't, I encourage you to begin. And if you do, I encourage you to continue doing it. Here's number two. What can I do as a dedicated dad to help my children? Number two, I can spend time with them. Number two, I can spend time with them. You know, it's amazing to me how distracted we become in our society. There's, there's so many things going on in our world. We have so many extracurricular demands, and many times you and I can become so distracted with so many outside things that we simply begin to lose sight on what is the most important things to us in this life. And we've talked about this several times from the aspect of the way that we view God and the priority of his church and his word should be in our lives. But at the same time, we can look at this and we can also look at it from the aspect of the way that we even view our own children. The idea of being involved in our children's lives and being noticed this present while we are present. The fact of the matter is fathers are spending far too little time with their children, despite spending more time with their children than they actually ever have, according to statistics and research. Research still says that 63% of all fathers admittedly say that they still spend too little time with their fathers or with their children. 62% of fathers say that work obligations are the reason for taking time away from their children. Research says that fathers generally spend less than 80 minutes a day with their children. And I'll say this, much of the research I found does show that parents are spending more time with their children than 50 years ago. But think about the time that they are spending with their children. What are they doing? I understand our children are involved in so many things, in sports and in band and in work and all of these other things. And oftentimes, when you think about it, at least from when our children are younger, we are the ones taking our children to all of these events, to all of these extracurricular things that they have going on in their lives. But I think it's important to bring this up because when we talk about this, we need to consider the time of, that, is, we are being, that is being spent with our children and the quality of the time that we are actually spending with them. I fear that there are too many parents, too many fathers, who as long as they are the ones to take their children to a practice or they take their children to a game, they consider them being, having spent this quality time with their children and they, they've checked it off the list and that they're good to go for the rest of time, but that couldn't be further from the truth. When I talk about spending time with our children, fathers, I mean this. Are we spending intentional, thought-driven, and very calculated time with our children? I understand that we can become so busy, that we can become so wrapped up and so distracted with so many things. But I promise you, fathers, the time that you lose with your children is time that you cannot get back. Think about the time that you are missing out on when you are distracted, fathers, with so many other things in life. Think about the time that you are missing out on, most importantly, to teach them about Almighty God and to teach them about His Word and the relationship they need to have with the Lord's church. Look, I used to be in youth ministry um, and I have, I still have such a great love and passion for it. I loved working with young people. I did it for five years right out of preaching school. But when I, during that time, and you can ask Kaylin, we've talked about this so many times. Within all of that, there was a reoccurring problem that presented itself in every place that I've ever worked. That you have parents who look at youth ministry and they look at the Lord's church as a cop out on their own responsibility to teach and to nurture and to admonish their own children. 
I'm not bashing or downplaying the significance of youth ministers because I, I once was one, and I can see the importance of them. I can see the good that they can do, but boy, does it present a temptation to our parents to shirk their responsibility to teach and to nurture and to rear their children. Parents often say, oh, look, they'll get those things at Sunday school, won't they? They'll be taught those things. They'll say, oh, they'll get it in a sermon on Sunday, and the preacher will talk about it. Are you kidding me? Did you know that if you spend maybe four hours out of the week at worship services, if you come to every service, maybe you do a youth event once a month. That's six hours one week. Take the other three weeks, another 12 hours. When, when I was doing youth ministry in Tennessee, we did youth events generally twice a week. So 25 hours maybe total, maybe 30, 35. That is so minute in comparison to the time that you as a parent get to spend with your child. At least I hope that it is. Here's the, here's, here's the point that I'm making. The Lord's church is not a replacement for the role that parents are tasked with by God within their own homes. Parents, what are you and I doing with our time and the way that we spend it with our children? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God made it abundantly clear as to the, how he wanted his his people, his parents of the children that were there and the relationship that they were to have as it pertained to his commands and his word. He, what he wanted them to be thinking about, what he wanted them to be concerned with. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. These words, verse 6, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. A charge to parents to take the initiative and to help mold the minds and the lives of their own children, to teach them about Christ, to teach them about his teachings to them as New Testament Christians for us today, to bind them on their hearts so that they know what is expected of them. You go back a couple of chapters, Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning of verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. And the Lord said to me, gather the people I will, I will, and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days of the, that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Fathers, don't let your children become a part of a generation that knows not Almighty God. Take pride in your own responsibility as a father to spend time with your children and to help rear and nurture them in the way that God would have you to do so. Spending time with your children is an investment. I understand that. It takes energy, doesn't it? It takes effort. It takes time. It takes you making a dedicated effort to put the time and the effort into your children. Fathers, you are leading your home. Fathers, you are leading your wife, you are leading your children, but where is it that you are leading them to? You're taking them somewhere, so where is it? Are you leading them to a bigger retirement? Are you leading them to a, 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 a more padded life once you are gone off this earth? That's fine, that's good, that's well. But don't forget the responsibility of while they are living in your home that you must teach them and train them 
in the way that God would have you to do so. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. To help lead them on that straight and that narrow path that will get them to heaven. It's, always, it's, it's been said this way before. If we don't teach our children to follow Christ, then the world will teach them not to. Don't let it be said of you as a father that you didn't spend a time with your children, especially when it came to teaching them about the Lord's church and his word for us. Here's number three. What can I do as a dedicated dad? Number three, I can give them a sense of identity. I can give them a sense of identity. What I mean by that is this. Show them what a real hero or what a real role model really looks like. There's so many people in our world today, aren't there, who are considered to be these great influencers. And I'm not talking about these influencers that you see on Instagram or TikTok who have hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm talking about people who we would consider, at least when I was growing up, people like athletes or actors or music artists, these celebrities that you and I would talk about on a day-to-day basis, people who are so influential on so many of the younger generation. If if they wear it, so do the kids. If they say it, so do the kids. If, If they do it, so do the kids. And they're role models for these young people. And yet within all of that, our young people are also exposed to lives that are lived that are not in accordance with the words of Almighty God. Lives that are often lived in sin are these lives that are set up on a pedestal, and our children are exposed to that. Fathers, think about this. Who do you want your children to look up to? Who do you want your children to follow after in this life that we are living? Who do you want them to identify themselves with? When I read through Hebrews chapter 11, We and I read about individual after individual, don't we? Who can and should be not only our role models as parents, but role models for our children. I can remind them about Abel, how Abel was pleasing to God through his listening and through his obedience to God's commands. I I can remind them about Enoch, how Enoch never had to experience death because of his own righteous and faithful living. I can remind them about Noah, how the entire world criticized him. The entire world mocked him for doing what he was doing, for obeying God And yet he still built the boat and he survived that worldwide flood, which I guess makes another lesson for our children, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing around us. You and I are still responsible for our own actions, aren't we? It doesn't matter what the world does around us. You and I still must do what God has commanded us to do. We talked last week about the devil, how the devil can't force you or he can't make you to do anything. Well, guess what? Neither can your friends. Neither can the people that you associate yourself with. I can remind them of Abraham. How Abraham had showcased his faith in God by stepping out and going to a land that he didn't even know where it was or what was awaiting him. I can remind them of Sarah. How Sarah was able to conceive a son well past the age of bearing children and how she was able to bear the promised son because of her faith. I can remind them about Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the walls of Jericho. We could talk about Rahab. You can pick up in verse 32 where the Hebrews writer says, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Are these not the role models, the heroes that we wish for our children to study and to look up to and to pattern their lives after? I say all of that to say this. Children are naturally going to look up to individuals who are within the realm of whatever it is that their interests might be. They're going to gravitate towards wanting to be like them. I get that. There were several NBA players that I thought were the coolest thing in the world when I was growing up because I loved basketball so much. But when I think about real role models, real influences who helped me with my own identity as Christians, yes, I think about people who are still living today. I think about people who were living when I was a child and who have now gone on to their reward. But I also think about studying passages like Hebrews chapter 11. I think about the great pillars of faith that are talked about and that are stated and that are recorded for you and I to study and to remember and to recall in our own memory. These are the people that we should surround our own children with. But not only, fathers, should our own children look up to these great heroes in the Bible, we need to live and act in such a way, fathers, that we can be their own hero and their own role model in the way that we live our own lives. It's a great responsibility, isn't it, when you think about it from that perspective. Think about living your life in such a way that if someone lives their life after you in the way that you did, they would be pleasing to Almighty God. When Joe Wells was here back in January during the family seminar, he talked about how as a parent, especially as a father, it's like walking out on the freshly fallen snow. And you walk out and you make those giant footprints, those giant imprints in the snow, and what do your children do? They jump in the exact same footprints that you make because they're following you wherever it is that you go. That can be a good thing, fathers, but that can also be a very bad thing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Fathers, can we say this to our children? Can you look at your children and say, if you follow me and the way that I live my life, you're also in turn going to be following after Jesus Christ. I hope that each of us would be able to say that, that we imitate Christ and that we live a dedicated life of a Christian. But then number four, very, very quickly, what can I do as a dedicated dad? I can never let them forget about heaven. I can never let them forget about heaven. You know, every single choice that you make, every single thing that you do to help your children should be done with heaven in mind. The things that you allow them to do should be done with heaven in mind. The things that you allow them to say, would they go to heaven saying those things? The thing that you allow your children to wear, would they be able to go to heaven wearing those things? The things that they simply do, could they do it? while going to heaven. We must make heaven a part of every single decision that we make, not only for ourselves, but especially for our own children. Because what we are doing is, fathers, we are reminding them that there is something far greater and far better than this world. There is something far greater and far better than what we are able to experience in our own lifetime right now, that the fact that this world is not going to last and that our goal must be to spend our eternity in heaven above. And if that is our goal, then certainly our lives will reflect that. If we do these things, 
then we will not only set them up on a path for success physically, not always, monetarily, not always, but in the most important way, spiritually speaking, yes. I'm not saying that our children will be perfect. I'm not saying that when they grow up and they get out on their own, that they're not going to make mistakes because they are. But it ought to be what we strive for as dedicated dads who are going to make a difference in their lives and in even our own lives. That we're going to keep their focus heavenward and our focus heavenward as well. I hope that this has been something that's beneficial to you, not only as a father, but simply as a parent. To understand and to be reminded of the important role that we have, our responsibility, our God-given responsibility to help parent and to rear and to nurture our own children because we are raising the next generation of Christians. And parents, I hope that we understand that. I hope we understand how great of a responsibility, how big of a deal that is. And I hope that you and I would do all that we can to make sure that we're pleasing to God in the way that we do that. Maybe you're here this morning, perhaps, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're not a New Testament Christian and you haven't put him on in baptism. Know that you can do that this morning. You can come forward, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's name. We can baptize you into water, that water representing the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And just like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, you're going away rejoicing. Maybe you're here this morning, though, perhaps you are a Christian. Maybe you are a father. Maybe you've been making mistakes in your life as a father. I know that that's not unseen and uncommon because every single father makes mistakes. I've made mistakes and I've only been one for 18 months and I know that I will continue to make mistakes as well. But the point is that you and I strive to do all that we can to be pleasing to God. And when we do that, certainly we will benefit our children. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.